If you have your Bibles or take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, for two weeks, we've talked about walking worthy of the Lord and uh, living for Jesus Christ, walking by faith. We talked about how what we believe should add up and even out and measure up against the way that we should behave. We talked about some specific areas two weeks ago. Last week, we talked a little bit about how that works. This morning, I, I you know, I want to kind of, uh, I want to think about this in terms of, um, you know, it's kind of, it's decision time. We've got, uh, there's a few days or a few weeks or a few months or a few years left, either before Jesus comes or before we go, one or the other. We don't really have a time frame. We have a very limited amount of time in your life, and I have a very limited amount of time in my life. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God uh, numbered our days. He ordered our steps before one of them came to be. So we have this window uh, during which we can live and honor the Lord Jesus. So I want you to think about your life this morning. I want you to think about today um, as a fork in the road. Today you can decide that you're going to go on and walk closely with Jesus or you're going to keep doing life as usual. The great theologian Alice in Wonderland came to the fork in the road and she said, which road do I take? And the Cheshire cat said, well, where do you want to go? And Alice said, I don't know. And the cat said, well, then it doesn't matter which road you take. If you don't know where you're going, it doesn't really matter what you do. But if you know where you're going, and if you know where you're headed, then what you do makes all the difference. Some people wonder, and they kind of ask themselves this question, does it really matter if I honor God with my life? Does it really matter if I obey his word, does it really, does it really matter if we live with eternity in mind? Does it matter if I commit my life to Jesus? And if I do commit my life to Jesus, does it matter if I really invest in his kingdom, in his church, and in his people? I mean, does it really, I mean, and some people ask that question. Does it matter if I serve the kingdom through the local church? Does it matter if I serve in vacation Bible school? Does it matter if I lead that small group? Does it matter if I serve uh, the Lord Jesus through an area of ministry? And we ask these questions and we say, does it, you know, we think, does it, does it really matter? Does it matter if I please God with my life? And some people even go so far as, you know, it, if I, even if I choose to live my life my own way, and even if I choose to sin, God will forgive me, right? And so we ask these questions. Does it really matter what we do? And if you know where you're going, or even if you don't, the answer is a resounding yes. It matters not just in this life. But what we do matters forever. What we do matters forever. Paul gives us some insight. I want you to look with me, 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, we'll just read two verses. We'll pick up in 
Um, well, just to connect us to two weeks ago, let's read. Um, let's start in verse 6. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home of the Lord. So, we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad. What we do matters. And what we do matters forever. Now, Alice in Wonderland, she she didn't know where she was going. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you name him as Lord, if you've opened your heart to Christ, if you've been born again, then you need to know that one day, maybe soon, maybe not so soon, but one day, You and I are going to stand in the presence of that king, that sovereign ruler, that that uncreated one that we just sang about. One day, we're going to fly away. We sang about that. And when we do, we're going to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So so what what we do really, really does matter. Paul said we make it our goal to please him because Paul viewed everything through the lens of eternity. He had what uh, Joe Stoll and some others have called eternal eyesight. Now, most of us, we don't operate with eternity as our point of reference. I mean, think about this. How many of, how many of your daily decisions, how many of my daily decisions, in how many of those do we factor in the eternal consequences of what we do. For most of us, heaven is obscured and eternity is obscured. Uh, when I was growing up, I remember when I first got exposed to the idea of an eclipse. Um, you can go ahead and, and put that slide up here for us. An eclipse is it's the total or partial obscuring of one celestial body by another. But I remember I grew up in a little town, Williston, Florida, and that was before we didn't have the internet, and we didn't have cable TV, and we didn't have satellite, and so everything you got about weather you got from the local channel. And we'd watch W my daddy liked George Winterling. He was WJXT in Jacksonville. And I remember one time he said, There's gonna be a solar eclipse, and he said, You you gotta be careful to view it, but he said, Here's how you could view it. And he told us you took a cardboard box and you cut a hole here and you put a mirror there and he did all and so he, he gave us this whole thing about how how to do that well I didn't even try it I said there's no way that's going to work but I, I kind of got intrigued by this thing about an eclipse and if you notice there a, a, a solar eclipse and I, and I think those are wrong a solar eclipse is when the moon uh, passes between the sun and earth no that's right and then a lunar eclipse is when the earth passes between the sun and the moon and it shadows it. Go ahead and roll the next slide. Here's a, here's a, uh, a lunar eclipse and here's kind of a neat, a neater picture of a lunar. Go ahead. One more. Okay. I got them out of order, but hey, it was late when I did this. All right. Go. There's another uh, lunar. But check out the solar eclipse. Go ahead. This is the coolest shot. Isn't that awesome? How the, how you begin to see uh, at the sunrise. Go ahead and roll the next one. Go again. There, there's even a better one. And then look at this last one. Wow. Our God designed the earth where this stuff could happen. 
And think about this. Our, our God is so precise. They can predict these things. You know, not smart people can, not people like me. But they, they can't. I mean, I'm online. I, I'm checking this stuff out. And they were predicting the, there was a, a, a solar eclipse. I think it was in 2009. It was going to last like six minutes and 32 seconds. I mean, they, they had this thing down precisely. Because God so ordered the universe that they can make a mathematical formula that can predict when this stuff happens. But anyway, that, that's just kind of extra. But, but I want you to think about the idea of eclipse. Go ahead and roll the next. Because think about it. An eternal eclipse is, is different. An eternal eclipse, it's a condition in which heaven or eternity is obscured by the earth and earthside activities. And I, I, I submit to you this morning, by the way, that picture is, uh, this, that's a, uh, solar eclipse in Antarctica. Is that not a cool, yeah, that, that would have been probably worth the call to, 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 to get that view. But anyway, all right, go ahead. You can take that down. Uh, but I want you to think with me for a minute. I think the church today, and a lot of us today, we're living in the, with this eternal eclipse. In heaven, and eternity is obscured by what's happening on the earth and earthside activities. Because if the truth were known, if we were to, if we were to be totally honest, you and me, rarely, rarely do we factor in our daily decisions by how, how is this going to affect eternity? How is this going to affect it? And so I want us this morning to think about, I mean, we've got one life. Now we can spend it any way we want to, but we only got one. It's like, I mean, you can have a dollar and you can spend it on whatever you want to spend it on, but you can only spend it one time. We got one life. How are we going to use it? And so I want us to think about that. Today, the, the, the church is kind of going with that. Because here's the thing. For the average believer, heaven is kind of a, uh, it's, it's, it's not really a vital point of reference. But for most people, heaven is a, a final place of residence. And we think about heaven from the standpoint of, I'm going to go there one day. Uh, one of these days, I'm going to fly into the sweet by and by. And oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. And we think about that. But when it comes to our day-to-day decisions... How we spend our money, how we spend our time, what do we do with this, how we invest our life. We don't often think about eternity. And so this morning I want to speak to you for a few minutes on that subject of, of um, making heaven and eternity a vital point of reference. The key, I, the, the, think about this statement for a minute. Everything we do here matters there. Everything we do here matters there. That's why Paul said we're going to stand in front of the majesty on high and we're going to receive what's due us for everything we've done, whether good or bad. And so, uh, so we need to think about that. We need to think long about that because, because here's the thing. If we'll begin to view life through the lens of eternity, if we'll begin to focus our day-to-day decisions uh, through the lens of eternity, we'll live to please God. 
We'll, we'll make every effort to make our life balance out. We'll want our behavior and our belief system to be right because we'll know that one day we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus and we're going to stand before the King and what an awesome, awesome day that's going to be. And so that will enable us uh, to live to please God. And so my question for you this morning is, are you living your life to please God? Are you thinking through your activities um, daily? And, and that's a hard question because it's easy... The thing about the eclipse is, is it sneaks up on you. And before we know it, we can't really see heaven and eternity because we're focused on what's going on around here. And that happens for you and that happens for me. And so I want to talk to us for a few minutes this morning about how we can overcome that. Uh, notice there, if you will, verse 9. Paul writes this. He says, so we make it our aim or we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Now that's interesting that he talked about away from it. He's talking about whether we're here on earth or whether we're in heaven. Paul said, I, I, I want to I live the same way here that I'm going to be when I get there. I want to be totally submitted, totally committed, and totally honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, we make it our aim or we make it our goal. All of us have goals. I I don't know what they are. Sometimes we don't even write them down, but we've all got goals. I mean, everybody wants to, everybody wants to become something or everybody wants to do something or everybody wants to experience something. I mean, we, we have goals. Some of them are grand, grandiose and, and wonderful and some of them not so much. I remember, uh, I was listening to John Maxwell a couple of years ago and he, he quoted this. We we're talking about goals and he, he was talking about Miss America and they interviewed one of the Miss America candidates and they said, well, you know, if you become Miss America, what, what are your goals? What are your ambitions? And she says, I want to promote world peace and then I want to get my own apartment. <laughs> Boy. She should win, right? I mean, what an ambition. I want to have my own apartment. But we've all got them. No, we don't always write them down. We don't always verbalize them. But, but we, we want to become something. And the Bible says that, that we're going to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And if that's true, then our goal should be to please him, to satisfy him, to honor him day after day after day. And so, so why should we do that? Let me give you a couple thoughts there. Uh, first of all, uh, Warren Wiersbe made this statement. He says, he says, not every believer is ambitious for the Lord, but every believer is going to appear before the Lord. And now's the time to prepare. We make it our aim to please him because we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me just talk, let me talk about this judgment seat thing for just a second. And we don't have time to get into this. this. The judgment seat of Christ is different than the great white throne judgment. If you read Revelation, I think it's 20, 11 through 15. If you read the latter part of Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats and, and, uh, there's, there's going to be a great white throne judgment where those who do not believe, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they're going to be judged for what they've done. But there is, that's a different deal. This deal here, this, this judgment seat of Christ is when believers, this is probably going to happen, you know, sometime, uh, I'm guessing 
fairly quickly after the rapture. But believers, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in the original language, the word is bema, uh, a judgment seat. They used it uh, in that day. They used it for some different things. Uh, obviously, when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate was on this bema seat. He, he had the authority to judge. And so that's one use of it. Another use of it, and it'll come into play in just a minute, but another use of the, of this bema was when people competed in the Olympics, the, the victor that won the crown would, would be, he would stay, he would stand on this platform, this bema. And so the idea of this judgment seat has the idea of judging our works, but it also has the idea of rewards, which we'll get to in just a moment. But when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, there are three or four things, kind of depends on how it shakes out, but three or four things are going to happen. And you need to know about this. And it's good for you to know now. And it's good for me to know now. Because if we know now, I mean, if we know what's going to be on the test, it's a lot more easy and motivating to get ready, right? I mean, if you if you know what's on the test. So let me just kind of tell you uh, what, what's going to be there. First of all, is when, when you and I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, there is going to be a review. He says here, we must all appear before the judgment. But the word appear in the original language Appear really doesn't give us justice. To appear means to be present. It's like um, if you get a summons to appear in court, you, you got to show up. But if they put you on the stand, all of a sudden, you got to give some answers. You know, it's one thing to appear, it's something else to, to, to have to be accountable. Well, this, the, the word there in, in the original language um, really has the idea of we're going to be revealed. As a matter, the word is phaneru, and it, it's, uh, that's the Greek word. It's to make manifest, to make clear, to make visible, to reveal. Uh, Philip Hughes said to be made manifest means not just to appear, but to be laid bare, stripped of every outward facade of respectability and openly revealed in true reality of one's character. So here's what you and I need to understand. We're going to stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus one day and everything is going to be laid out there. Everything. Everything. He's going to review our life. He's going to review our thoughts. He's going to review our actions. He's going to review our calendar. He's going to review our, our wallet. I mean, he's, we're just going to be out there. Labor, everything. And so there's going to be a review. There's going to be a revelation of your life and a revelation of my life. Now, a lot of people think, listen, listen to me. A lot of people think, well, well, listen, my foot is on the rock and my name's on the road. Man, hey, I can just kind of do whatever I want. God will forgive me, right? Right? I mean, will God forgive me? If you're born again, God will forgive you. But don't buy into the idea that you can live your life any old way you want. One day... One day, God is going to open our life up. And he's going to look at it all. There will be a review of every thought, every word, and every deed. Don't Listen, don't buy into this. this you know, some people buy into this idea of cheap grace. Grace means we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. Now, listen, that, listen, that's not in the book. So one day God's going to review 
and audit our life. He's going to have a look. I mean, the book's going to be open. I mean, some of you, uh, some of you are accountants. Some of you, a few of you, you know what it's like when they, when they do an audit, man, they look at all of it. Right? One day God's going to audit your life. He's going to audit my life. There will be a review. Secondly, the second thing that's going to happen, there is going to be a reward. There, it's, there's going to be the review and then there's going to be the reward because, you know, it, he's going to, he's going to lay it out there. Notice, uh, notice verse 10. For it must all appear that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay? God's going to reward us. You're going to get good for the good stuff. I don't know what we're going to get. Now, we're not going to be judged. We're not going to be punished for our sin. But we're going to be rewarded accordingly for what we've done. The best picture of that is is over in, turn back to 1 Corinthians, because this was kind of a, a prevailing theme with this church. And, you know, if you study the church at Corinth, here's the thing about the church at Corinth. Man, they were a bunch of, they were worldly. I mean, they talk about them being carnal and they got issues with divorce and they got issues with sexual immorality and they got issues with adult. I mean, they had issues. And so Paul writes them and says, you need to understand when you give your life to Christ, you can't just live the same old way you used to live. L- look at chapter three. Let's pick up uh, maybe verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, the day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer Loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the fire. Friend, listen. There's going to be a review of my life and yours. And God's going to reward us one way or the other. Interesting. uh, Some translations say good and bad. Uh, The word bad there isn't really the... It's really not the strongest of either... The two words for for evil, it's really a word that means useless or worthless. And I was reading about this this week, and I was reading John MacArthur, and he was talking about there are a lot of things in our life that are morally neutral. They're not really good or bad, but but how we do those things in in light of our motive and why we're doing them um, really determines whether those things are useful. Or useless. I mean, he talks about all kind of stuff like taking a walk or going shopping or pursuing a degree or moving up the corporate ladder or painting pictures or writing poetry. poetry. He talks about all these things. It's not that they're right or wrong, but how we use them is what our motive is. And so all I'm saying is one day, one day God's going to audit your life. One day God's going to audit my life. And when he does, he's going to reward us. According to what we've done. And so there, and because that's true, there's either going to be remorse or rejoicing. 
It's going to be one or the other. Uh, you know, and I mean, it just is. We're either going to be excited or we're going to be sad. I, about, oh gosh, 22 years ago, I went on my first mission trip. We went to Belize, Central America, flew from, from Little Rock to, uh, I think Little Rock to Dallas to Houston to, to Belize. And we spent 10 days down there and, and, uh, like a crazy guy, I was 20 something. I was about 26 or 27. So I, 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 I didn't shave all week and I was looking kind of rough. Well, we get back to Houston to go through customs and everybody in my party, they waved them on by, but me. And they call me over and, you know, I don't know if it's because of what I look like. I don't know what the deal is, but when you're trying to come back to America and they stop you, that is, that is not an exciting thing. And so they begin to dig into my stuff and they looked at everything. They looked for everything. And finally he smoothed it all back out and says, you can zip it up. And I zipped up my suitcase and he said, you can go on. Man, there was some rejoicing. <laughs> I mean, I was a happy camper, you know, uh, that day. Because he looked at everything, said, you okay. One day, God's going to look at everything in our life. Don't you want him to say, you okay. Don't you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. None of us, listen, none of us want all our stuff to burn up. None of us want to get to heaven as one escaping through the flames. We, we want to get to heaven being a faithful servant. And so we need to live our life in a way that pleases God. So, so just from a practical standpoint, what does it take or what will it mean to do that? And let me just share um, uh, some, some thoughts with you. What can we do to please God? Because God wants us to please Him. And let me just tell you this story. I, I found it the other day and I thought I'd tell you. But there was a lady. Her husband was very critical. I know this never happens at your house, ladies. But her husband was always critical. She could never do anything right. And so she decided one morning, she says, I'm going to give him the perfect breakfast. And she just made a decision. I'm going to make my husband happy. So she gets up in the morning and she goes up to him. And she says, she says sweetie, what would you like for breakfast? He said, um, I would like some coffee. And I want two eggs, one scrambled and one fried. So she says, okay, hon. And she goes off to the grocery store and she bought his favorite brand of coffee. She stopped by the farm on the way back, picked up two fresh brown eggs, the best she could find. She goes home and she fries one. She scrambles one while she's doing that. She she brews him up a, a pot of coffee and she goes upstairs and she just sits a tray on the bed. And she just smiles and says, good morning, honey. Here's your breakfast. And he looked at it and this big scowl came on his face. And she said, what's wrong? He said, you scrambled the wrong egg. <laughs> you just couldn't please him. Huh? Some of you married to somebody like that, right? You're going, that's him. That's her. That's him. <laughs> Some people, you can't please them. But we can please God if we'll do the things in the word that he wants us to do. And let's just quickly, let's look, uh, go to... First Thessalonians chapter four. Just a couple quick thoughts about pleasing God. Uh, First Thessalonians four one. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you to do this more and more. What what were they doing? And so let's look at some things. Number three said it's God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, uh, that each one should learn to control his own body. If, if you want to, one of the ways that we please God is we need to practice sexual purity. 
This is a whole sermon. I'm not going to get too detailed into this. But let me just tell you, if you're going to honor the Lord Jesus, you need to practice sexual purity. And that's what we see, what we read, what we listen to, what we watch on the the, the, TV, the way we conduct ourselves. We need to practice sexual purity. Secondly, we need look at verse 9 and 10. And again, that's a whole message. We'll come back to that down the road. 9 and 10 says, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. We need to love one another, being committed to meet each other's needs and meet the needs of people in the kingdom. Listen, one of, one of the reasons, you know, we talk about serving and we talk about, you know, uh, one of the issues we got right now is we're struggling to have volunteers in Vacation Bible School. I mean, uh, my stars, we got three, 400 adults that come every week and we can't... Uh, we're short volunteers for Vacation Bible School. One of the ways that you can love other people is to serve them in the kingdom of God. And many of you, most of you here, you could be available to do that. And you can please God when you're willing to serve. That's how we show love to one another. And if we're going to please God, sure, we need to live a life of purity, but we need, we need to love one another. We need to love people and serve people and get involved with people. And then read and look at verse 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you. One of the ways we please God is to, is to mind our own business. Miss Von Seal Cribs was my fourth grade teacher. And she was, she was a dear, sweet lady. And, uh, but she, she gave us this rule and it was a neat, and I've never forgotten it. And that's been a long, that's been a few years ago. But she said, she would tell us, she said, you need to spend half your time minding your business. And she says, you need to spend the other half keeping your snout out of everybody else's business. And she said, if you'll do that, you'll be all right. And as believers, we, that's what we need to do. We need to mind our business. Not worry about other people's business and focus on working in the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, if, if we'll have sexual purity, if we'll love one another, if we'll wind our own business, um, we'll please the Lord. And, and then we could go on. I mean, Hebrews thirteen sixteen talks about doing good and sharing and giving to the work of the kingdom. Colossians three twenty talks about obeying your parents, pleases God. I'll, I'll probably focus on that a little more the next service. But but listen, I'll say that to our students and to our children. Then we need to honor our parents. We need to obey our parents. Because that pleases God. That's the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. That it may go well with you. And then Psalm 69. Uh, let me just read this one. Psalm 69 verse 30. About worship. This is a great verse. Psalm 69 verse 30. I'll get there in a minute. 69.30 says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Listen to this. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. It, that's appropriate for Texas, isn't it? <laughs> I, I will praise God's name in song, glorify him with thanksgiving. That will please him more than an ox and more than a bull with its horns and hooves. Now, what he's talking about there is an offering, a sacrifice. What God was saying to Israel 
I'd rather you sing my praise and worship me. That's even more important than giving me an offering. If you want to please God, and if I want to please God, we need to sing and speak his praises and thanksgiving. We need to give. We need to obey. We need to mind our business. We need to love other people. We need to, we need to be pure. And we'll please God. And we could go on and on, but, but, but there, there's, listen, the issue is it's not a bunch of rules. I don't even want to say that we, you know, we got to have all these steps, but here's kind of the deal. Uh, in, in Hebrews 11 verse six, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to flee, please God without faith. But we must believe if we want to please him, we have to come to him and believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so here's kind of my thing. If you want to be ready for that day, and if I want to be ready for that day, if we want to please God, then what we've got to do is we've got to decide that we're going to live our life by faith. And that means that our faith factors in to everything we do and everything we say. Imagine, imagine what your life would look like if you begin to think eternally. I mean, what if how you spent your time and how you spent your money was governed by the date you have with Jesus at the judgment seat? Imagine how your business practices might change or imagine, I mean, just think about that. Think about, I mean, if, if, if we filtered what we do and what we say and where we go and how we spend our money, what if we filtered all that through the lens of eternity? Imagine how things might change in our life. One day, one day, he's going to lay it all bare. He's going to evaluate our work. He's going to reward us. And we're either going to shout for joy or we're going to huddle in shame. So it's going to happen for every believer. So we ought to live our life in light of eternity. Now, if you've never given your life to Christ, you're not going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to the other judgment, and that's the white throne judgment. Revelation, that's another sermon. We may get to that after Easter. But you'll be, if your name's not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you'll be evaluated for what you've done, and then you'll be cast into the lake of fire, and you'll spend eternity separated from God. That's not what I believe because I'm a Baptist. That's what it says in the book. That whoever has never surrendered their life to Christ, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. I'll t- tell you this story and I'll wrap up. Uh, I read this this week and I thought I got to tell you all that. When Calvin Coolidge was vice president, he was presiding over the Senate. And uh, one senator in anger told another senator to go straight to hell. And that senator appealed to, to Coolidge because he was a presiding officer. Well, Coolidge had been leafing through a book at the time. And so finally he looked up at the man and he said, he said, I've been looking through the rule book and you don't have to go. 
I've been looking through the rule book. You don't have to go. If you're here without Jesus Christ and you never open your heart to Christ, you're headed to hell. But I've been looking in a book. You don't have to go. You can give your life to Jesus Christ. You can open your heart to Christ today. He'll come live in your life. He'll forgive your sin. And he'll give you a brand new start. It's your choice. You don't have to go. You don't have to go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word that if we're without Christ, we don't have to go to hell. We can give our life to Christ. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, uh, we will be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And God, I know sitting in the auditorium this morning, there's some men and some women and there's some boys and girls, maybe some students, that have never given their heart to Jesus Christ. They come to church. They may be Baptist. They may be something else. But they've never opened their heart to Christ. They've never been born again. And the Bible says... That if your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, you'll be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But they don't have to go. They don't have to go. I pray this morning that they would open their heart to Jesus Christ. Friend, if you've never been born again, would you be willing today to open your heart to Jesus Christ? With a simple prayer of faith, you can say this to him, Lord Jesus, I know that you died for my sin. I know that you were buried according to the scriptures. I know that you were raised again and appeared to many. And so, Jesus, I, I turn from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and give me a brand new start. Thank you, Jesus. For, for saving me. If you'll, if you'll make that type of commitment with a sincere faith, the Bible, said, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I pray for him that you do that today. Father, I also pray for these believers. Most of us here name the name of Jesus, but many of us here, we don't live with heaven as our vital point of reference. We're, we're kind of in this eclipse. Our view of eternity is somehow obscured by earth and earthside activities. And God, I pray this morning that we would decide to live the rest of our life in light of eternity. We're at the fork in the road. If we know where we're going, and we do, if we have Jesus, we're going to stand before the judgment seat. If you don't have Jesus, we're going to go to hell. But if we know where we're going, then what we do matters forever. So God, come and speak into our hearts and our lives this morning. And when you do, we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.